The English Civil War was a series of conflicts in the late 1640s uh, which pitted parliamentarians, so-called roundheads, against royalists, the Cavaliers, in an epic struggle over who had the right to govern the country. It ended in a victory for the parliamentarians. Charles I was put on trial and dramatically executed. A republic was established for a period under the personal rule of Oliver Cromwell. Even though the monarchy was restored in 1660, the war established the precedent that the king or queen could only govern with the consent of Parliament. It was a momentous time. It shook the nation and tore it apart, dividing regions and families. Some even argue the war was a revolution because of the long-lasting effects of an uprising against the idea of divine rule by a monarch. Those who see the event as a revolution often point to one of the radical groups to emerge from the battlefields, the levellers. They wanted an extension of the right to vote, equality before the law and religious tolerance for all. Their demands for a socialist and egalitarian society still reverberate today and my next guest, John Rees, has written a book about them. It's called The Leveller Revolution and he joins me here in the studio. Welcome. Thank you. I mean, I think for lots of people there are sort of tiny little blip in their in their O-level history syllabus. They kind of, yeah, yeah, the Civil War, mm. yeah, yeah, the Kings, Roundheads, Cavaliers, and those, those levellers, who were they again? They mm. sort of came and went, mm. didn't they? They had a one big year and they pretty much mm. disappeared. So can you set the context of the levellers within the Civil War for us, please? Yes, they were in many ways the most radical of the parliamentarians uh, and they were the people who kind of drove the revolution along in the streets and alleyways of, uh, of London and other towns and in the New Model Army amongst the, the rank and file of the uh, of the soldiers. They were the first people to use the printing press as a mass uh, tool of political propaganda. They were the first people to use the political petition as a kind of mass weapon of mobilisation. They were the first people to support those with demonstrations outside uh, Westminster on a systematic scale. Other people wrote petitions, other people demonstrated, lots of pamphlets were produced, but they were an organisation that did this across, well, best part of that decade, even though they didn't become named as levellers until later on in the decade. So they're the heart of this revolution in 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 many ways. And what did they stand for? Well, they stood for some things um, which, quite frankly, we uh, are still not um, able to talk about. We don't have annual parliaments and they wanted parliament to be elected annually. Um, they wanted, and this is still a huge row as the Boundary Commission goes to work, uh, equal constituencies. I wouldn't say we've got there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they did some things that were achieved but many years later. Um, for instance, uh, they talked about the way in which uh, there shouldn't be a property barrier um, to being able to, to vote in this in this country. They wanted the laws in English, which at the time they, they weren't all in, in English, mm-hmm. and they wanted Certainly among uh, among um, Protestants, they wanted the ability to worship um, God in your way and outside the national established church. So very many of the, of the arguments that are still raging in society, they first came from the levellers. And, and what about equality? I mean, you, you have a quotation on the front of the book and it says, I think that the poorest he that is in England hath a life to live as the greatest he. In other words, if you're poor, um, it doesn't mean you're insignificant. It doesn't mean you're not entitled to the same privileges and power as somebody rich. Yes, indeed. And this was a, a very, very powerful thing amongst the levellers. Another of the levellers, a, a young man called Richard Rumbold, who uh, actually stood on the scaffold as Charles I was being executed, say, said that uh, he saw uh, no reason why um, a man, well, the, one man should come into the world with a saddle on his back and another man booted and spurred to ride him. So they had a very 
democratic sense. They wanted democratic involvement of uh, people who'd been locked out of the political system. They didn't necessarily, it was, a, it was a kind of slur of their enemies that they wanted equality of property, but they did want equal democratic rights. And they spoke very forcefully on behalf of people who had been entirely outside the political world of that age. So when Theresa May, for example, became Prime Minister and made that speech about, you know, those who are poor, those who feel unrepresented, it is for you that I'm speaking on your behalf. I know I'm paraphrasing. Mm. But would you say that there was a kind of base of level of philosophy in what she was saying? Had they set the ground for that kind of speech? Well, once this argument was let loose in the society, everybody had to adapt to it, including at the time, of course, King Charles would have said, oh, of course, I, I speak for the for the poorest people in the country. It is it's in their interest to have me as their, as their monarch. So everybody claims that language. Uh, very few people act according to it. And very interestingly, I thought in a, a speech after that, um, Theresa May uh, accused um, Jeremy Corbyn of having levelling tendencies. So uh, perhaps she's not quite as consistent uh, on All right, that so, issue. So, so explain to people why that would be some kind of insult. Because so far you've represented the levellers as, as virtual paragons of all earthly, earthly uh, magnificent qualities. So, so why, would, why would Theresa May now say that Jeremy Corbyn has leveller tendencies and, and imagine that that's an insult? Because as the people who were the levellers critics um, back, in the, back in their day um, saw it, uh, if, if you do this, um, one of their opponents say, uh, I'm opposed to you because uh, if we go down this path, you will abolish all property. Cromwell said to them, "You'll be in fa- this will produce anarchy. Ah. So people who've already got wealth and have already got power always um, react very badly to the idea of levelling. OK, is it true? Would the levellers have abolished all property? No, they wouldn't, actually. Um, but the argument of their opponents was this. You give everybody the vote, they'll use the vote to take property away from the rich. Um, and that was what they objected to. They, they, they themselves, some of them, at least Henry Arton, Cromwell's son-in-law, was in favour of an extension of the franchise, but he didn't want it so far extended that there might be social ramifications, economic ramifications of that. And okay. in many ways, the opening of debate is what we're still dealing with. We're opening, we are still in the throes of a debate which they opened. Another fascinating facet of, of, of the leveller seems to be, and you can correct me if this is not right, but equality for women. So women were a powerful voice in the movement and they were listened to and it would be useful I think if you explain how unusual that was at the time It was incredibly unusual because um, you often hear our society described as a patriarchal society and that usually means that there's a high degree of inequality for women and, and oppression of women. It meant something additional in the 17th century. The basic economic unit was the household. Uh, the man was the head of the household. It was also a unit of production, so he had uh, sway over the apprentices. So there was a very forceful um, patriarchy. And the women were the weaker vessel, as the as the phrase had it there. So to have in the leveller movement people like uh, Catherine Chidley, who printed pamphlets in her own name, who argued with the most uh, eminent and respectable uh, religious figures in favour of religious tolerance who petitioned outside Parliament, who said, we have an equal right with the men in the shaping of the kingdom. That was an astounding uh, moment. And, and the reaction to it by the, the society was very, very fierce. 
the the colour of the levellers was sea green, mm-hmm. and their enemies said, "Oh, look at these 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 bonny besses in the sea green dresses besieging uh, Parliament," and they they reacted very fiercely to that attempt by women to to break into the political world. And what became of the bonny besses? I mean, Catherine Chowdley, what was her life story? Because I can't wait to see a film starring Keira Knightley or something playing <laughs> playing her. I mean, the the the, 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 the time is ripe, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's a, it is a fantastic uh, story. I mean, she went on to be a supplier of, I think, stockings to the new model, uh, to the new model army. Even after the defeat of the revolution, she was still upholding the idea of uh, religious freedom for dissenting uh, churches. And of course, that whole tradition spread down from Baptist to Methodists and a very strong element of British society and dissenting British society ever since. And so she, she was part of that. In a minute, we'll talk about what you think the, the, the legacy is of, of the levellers. But but if it was so terrific and, as you say, so aided and abetted by the printing press and their very intelligent use of it and these bright women and these very forceful men and everything else that was going on at the time, why do we have this kind of surge in popularity that lasts about a year, maybe two at the most, and then, boom, they're kind of off the charts and that's the end of them, pretty much? Well, it, they, were, they suffered really a double defeat. Um, the first defeat was that Oliver Cromwell and some of the people that they'd fought alongside, they fought alongside Cromwell and Arton and, and these people to, uh, to overcome the monarchy and to win the, uh, the, the Civil War. Uh, the society became a republic, um, but it became an undemocratic republic. It became a military dictatorship and the levellers wanted a democratic republic. So they were defeated first by Cromwell. Mm. And, of course, then the whole of the revolution was reversed by the restoration of the monarchy in 1660. So it got uh, overlain um, by successive events. But it's had a subterranean existence. It fed its way down to the um, to uh, John Wilkes and to Tom Paine and to the American Revolution and the French Revolution through various kind of diverse and underground passages. But it made its way there. So are you being sort of somehow a little bit stubborn and dogged in writing an entire book about the levellers and their contribution when really they were, they were nothing much more than a footnote? Or are you really ref- reflecting a, a, a movement that, that didn't last very long but whose legacy goes on and on and we can see it today? Well, we shouldn't confuse um, short-lived with ineffective. No. Um, and they were um, absolutely crucial to doing something absolutely unique. I mean, in the whole history of kings and the related titles of Shah and Tsar and Kaiser and Caesar, nobody had ever done what we did in England in that in that day. Of course, kings had died before on the battlefield at the hands of rivals, poisoned by members of their family. But there had never been a public trial where a monarch was put on trial for treason against the people. Mm. That was unheard of. And the levellers were absolutely central to creating the environment in which that could happen, in which not just was we were subject accountable to your monarch, but your monarch was accountable to the people. And they had this Latin tag which appeared on their battle flags called Salius Populi Supremus Lex. The safety of the people is the highest law. So they did something absolutely for the first time and absolutely dramatic in British history and it, and it should be made more of. Well, John Rees, thank you very much indeed for telling us about it. The book is called The Leveller Revolution. George's Hill A ragged band they called The diggers came to show The people's will They defied the landlords 
they defied the laws They were the dispossessed Reclaiming what was theirs We come in peace, they said To dig and sow We come to work the lands in common And to make the waste grounds grow This earth divided We will make whole So it will be a common treasury for all The sin of property to disdain No man has any right to buy and sell the earth for private gain by theft and murder They took the land Now everywhere the walls spring up at their command They make the laws to chain us well The clergy dazzle us with heaven or they damn us into hell We will not worship The God they serve The God of greed who feeds the rich While poor men starve We work, we eat together We need no swords We will not bow to the masters Or pay rent to the lords We are free men Though we are poor You dig us all Stand up for glory Stand up now Men of property, the orders came They sent the hired men and troopers To wipe out the diggers' claim Tear down their cottages, destroy their corn They were dispersed but still the vision lingers on You poor take courage, you rich take care This earth was made a common treasury For everyone to share all things in common People won We come in peace The orders came to cut them down 